Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. So good morning, everyone. I'm, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Jack Fu today. Um, he's actually an alumnus of our program, uh, graduated from the University of Texas at Houston PM&R Department residency program, and then actually stayed on, is my understanding, as a fellow before, before going on and taking a job as an attending physician at MD Anderson. So good morning. And yeah, thanks for having me, Paolo. So Dr. Fu is uh, currently an expert in the field of cancer rehabilitation. He's both an attending physician and uh, an associate professor at MD Anderson um, in the department of, and the way that you, that your department is labeled is the Department of Palliative Rehab and Integrative Medicine. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's all three. Uh, we're all together. It's our, our uh, part of it might be for administrative purposes, but. Uh, um, Right, we're all we're all together. Uh, we kind of all have quality of life as sort of um, an emphasis in all three uh, sections of our department. So that's that's one thing that we have in common. Um, so there is some cross, you know, there is some things that are similar between our sections. Uh, there are some differences as well, uh, uh, but uh, but that's how it is. Uh, we we've been in other departments as well in the past, like with I think with management at one point. So we've been kind of all over the place, but it's been with palliative and integrative medicine for some time. So it's definitely an interesting approach. Um, I had the opportunity as a resident in training to, to rotate there for a month. Um, and yeah, as you're mentioning, I mean, these palliative medicine is not the same thing as rehab medicine and kind of all together, I guess, the integrative medicine aspect of it. But um, conceptually, it's interesting that you're bringing, you know, experts from internal medicine, kind of geriatrics, hospice and palliative care, rehabilitation, cancer rehab, and all under one umbrella. So, so that that's an interesting way of kind of tackling some of the needs of these patients. Yeah, and we uh, we share the rehab uh, section shares the clinic with the palliative section, so we're both um, we're, we're we're rubbing elbows with the palliative doctors in the clinic. So, um, and as as you know, that uh, many of the palliative patients have rehab needs, and many of our rehab needs have symptom control needs that a supportive care or palliative care doctor would be very good at. I, I think uh, many of the cancer patients suffer from significant cancer symptoms, uh, and so they might that's how they might get into the supportive care side of our clinic. But also, you know, many of those cancer symptoms have functional implications, and so um, many of the same kind of group of patients may end up in our kind of get to us through the rehab side of our clinic as well. So, so there's some cross-consultation that, that often occurs as well. Nice. Yeah. And Dr. Fu, in your opinion, does that kind of lend to streamlining the care for these patients, the fact that your clinics are so, so, so tight-knit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think part of it. Uh, my sense is, and I, I I don't know for sure, but my sense is that it was probably done as a as an administrative issue, but it has worked out well because I think we do see kind of the same population, and our popular the patient population we see often has needs from both sides, and so it's nice. Now, sometimes if we're real busy, 
and uh, we're, we're really getting we're getting slammed with lots and lots of patients so we don't have time to see an extra one we might have to you know it doesn't quite work as smoothly as I, I just uh, described it but but uh, uh, oftentimes it does yeah so that's probably I mean a, a, a problem common to all aspects of medicine I mean right now the emphasis is more on you know volume of care unfortunately starts to kind of you know, but that's a whole other conversation. I don't want to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, so, Dr. Fu, can you tell us in general, what is cancer rehabilitation medicine? That's a great... So, cancer rehab is... Uh, and there's been a number of definitions. I uh, Actually, I, I, I co-authored a paper with uh, Julie Silver, who, who, who came up with a very good description, a very sort of official... Merriam-Webster-sounding definition <laughs> of cancer rehab, but I think uh, sort of, and I can't remember it verbatim, but uh, yeah, cancer rehab is basically uh, efforts by uh, rehab doctors, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, neuropsychologists uh, to improve the quality of life of, of cancer patients as well as cancer survivors. Um, those interventions could include uh, injections to uh, medication prescriptions to, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, cognitive therapy. Um, there have been other definitions out there that have come up that have uh, that are very broad. And, I, and actually, I'm glad you brought that, this up because it is if you ask 10 people, you may get a slightly different answer. Uh, I, I know in Europe, I I've been to their, they, I, they have one of the few uh, cancer rehab conferences uh, every two years. Okay. And their definition of cancer rehab is very psychologic. Um, you know, how does, how does a cancer survivor psychologically cope with the, you know, with the thoughts of the, the cancer treatment, the loss of, of, of work or, or the physical impairments they have? Sort of how does that, how does the psychological process happen? And I think in the U.S. that has been more, it's sort of more focused on rehab and function and not so much because I mean over there it's almost kind of going into psychology psychiatry a little bit and I think here it's a little bit more uh, focused on the, on the physical functioning part of it okay yeah. so inter- interesting um, I didn't know that that in the, that in Europe maybe the mentality is slightly the, the paradigm slightly different than here um, when you do go to those conferences over there do you have rehabilitation physicians also attending do you also have psychiatrists and psychologists attending like who is it that, that that's kind of you know that, that the meeting of the minds? Who who is it that's present? Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 physiatrists, it's therapists, but they're also they're definitely more psychologists there. Um, okay. So it's interesting. Yeah, they'll say it's interesting stuff. It, 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 and I think it's you know it's in very important very important things, uh, but but it it seems to be the emphasis is a little bit different. Uh, and I, I don't know how to explain that why that is, but. Um, well, I it's bring, very interesting. Yeah, I, I bring up this question because you know one of the things that drew me to physical medicine rehabilitation in and of itself is the the holistic approach. And I mean that can sound you know even a little wishy washy to some people. What I mean by that is we take the whole patient. It's not just okay. Here's pathology. Here's symptomatology. How do we treat both of those two underlying things? It's okay. That's that's you know, the physician in me, that's the MD in me saying, how do I, you know, tackle this problem? But what are the impairments that, you know, this patient's suffering? So taking that kind of holistic approach, um, and, and I assume that's what we're doing with cancer rehabilitation, right? And we're specifically aiming that at 
oncology patients is, is, is really my understanding, my, you know, um, naive understanding of what cancer rehabilitation is. So, so you're explaining that in Europe, the, the mentality is a little bit different. A little bit different. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, but it seems to be, they, you see a lot more papers and posters about sort of, yeah, what the patient's going through psychologically that I think our conferences don't have as much of. And, hmm. and you know, it's not so, you know, it's it maybe in some ways it's, we are neglecting that a little bit, or maybe, uh, maybe those people are the patient, the people in the U S who are doing that are going to a different conference. Maybe they're in the psycho, there's a, there's a psycho oncology right. group and maybe they, maybe they're going to the psycho oncology, uh, cause they actually, they're pretty well established and they may be going to that, uh, conference instead. Uh, our, our, our conferences seem to be more related to like, kind of like, you know, even with TBI patients that we have or spinal cord injury patients that we have, we don't, we don't see a lot of these sort of, what is the patient going through psychologically after, right. after the devastating effects of a spinal cord injury or, a, or a, a traumatic brain injury? I think there's a little bit of that and we treat depression and stuff, but I don't think, I, I just feel like the Europeans go into more detail and, and, and more of an emphasis on that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'd yeah. never even, I never even thought of that. Maybe it's just a cultural thing here, here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'd say it could 30, 40% of the posters are kind of like along those lines. It's interesting because in here you're probably less than 10% or even if that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so here in the U S you know, at a premier cancer center like MD Anderson, where you work as an attending physician. Um, now I know you deal with an even higher acuity or, or even more fragile patient than, than some of the patients that, you know, are, are taken care of in you know, quote unquote, you know, run of the mill acute rehab facilities. Um, and that can be evidenced by the fact that your patients have to be kind of transferred back out to an acute floor a little bit more frequently than some of our patients. Um, what are the common, common issues that you're trying to treat in this, in this patient population? Yeah, from a, from a medical standpoint, um, and I've done a lot of research, uh, this is one area of research that I'm interested in is, is sort of figuring out, yeah, what's going on? Why do we have so many patients return to primary versus the traditional cancer rehab or traditional rehab population? Um, and what I found is that infection is the number one, pretty consistently is the number one reason for uh, return to the primary service. So, so you know, I think uh, the, the takeaway message from, from that research is that uh, we when you're the inpatient physiatry attending, you really need to be vigilant about any signs of infection, about, you know, checking. To be honest, especially if it's a hematological malignancy, you, need, you should, probably should be checking CBCs every day, watching the white count, checking vital signs. Um, oh, you know, miss, my patient's having a little bit of a cough. Maybe, you know, I would be aggressive. Check yeah. that chest x-ray. Don't don't wait around. Uh you know, if, if, if you notice some, even, you know, I think your threshold for, for doing an infectious workup should be low, should be much lower than your typical, uh, uh traditional rehab patient. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, many of these patients are neutropenic. They have low white counts. Uh, um, so, uh, that, that's something, I think that's probably one takeaway. There's, there's also a number of other reasons for, for return to primary, but I think the, the take-home message, I have four published articles on, on just return to primary of different cancer populations, and 
the take home message is that infection seems to be, and as, as well as from research from other uh, folks who've done the research in this area, said infection is, is the big, the big number one thing to look out for. And, um, and infection can be life threatening uh, for these patients. They can go into sepsis real fast and things can get out of control real quick. So, um, you know, it's just, I would just be very vigilant about that. Do you think that some of it has to do with the fact that we're being, as physiatrists in general, um, or, or attendings on the inpatient side of acute rehab facilities, we're being a little bit more aggressive in the patients that we're taking in as well? I mean, even in the short time that I've been here, I'm in my fourth year of training. I mean, five years ago, I was still in medical school. Um, I've noticed that we'll take you know more and more patients directly from ICUs, you know, directly from neuro ICUs and neurosurgical ICUs directly into you know our TBI or spinal cord units, um, and I would assume that that's probably also happening within you know the oncologic population. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think I think uh, uh, we have more and more. Um well, I can say at least at MD Anderson that, that, that they're constantly coming out with new can- cancer regimens, doing clinical trials, uh, and some of this stuff's getting pretty aggressive and causes a lot of collateral symptoms. And, and yeah, and, and, and uh, I kind of joke that, that the physiatrists in our, at MD Anderson were kind of like mini, becoming like mini internists. We kind of like, you know, we're, we're managing a lot of major medical issues. I mean, you know, I feel very comfortable actually treating pulmonary embolisms and emboli and 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 dealing with 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 issues that that maybe many other maybe 10 20 years ago your average physiatrist probably would feel pretty uncomfortable with um, but um, you know it's an interesting phenomenon and, and, and when I was a resident even that was something that came up was that the medical acuity of these patients seemed it seems like it's getting uh, more and more uh, more they're becoming a little sicker, a little more complicated than they were in the past. Yeah, yeah. I think in the past we wanted them to be rock solid, steady, uh, rock solid, uh, you know, medically stable, and, and now I think we're we're getting into getting into uh, more medical issues. I mean, yeah. I, it's it's probably fair that we're doing that too. We're just trying to expand, you know, how many patients we're able to help out. Yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned. I think starting rehab early, there are definitely benefits to starting rehab earlier and getting involved earlier. Uh, I think yes, yeah, it's a sign of the times, and, and, and insurance companies and, and with Medicare changes, they want to try to reduce the acute care stay uh, for financial reasons. So, so I think sometimes we're we're seeing that on the rehab side too. So, yeah. so kind of shifting gears a little bit, since you're mentioning um, starting rehab a little bit earlier, one of the concepts that you talked about during your presentation at our grand rounds today, which is excellent, by the way, thank you, sir. Um, was prehabilitation. So prehabilitation within cancer patients um, or patients with cancer, excuse me. So prehabilitation, you mentioned, is not a new concept. And before I even went into medicine, my background was all kind of sports related, um, exercise physiology related. And prehabilitation was a concept there as well with with injuries. Um, So tell me a little bit more about how we're applying these concepts of prehabilitation to the oncologic population. Yeah, so so um, rehabilitating patients or increasing their muscle reserves, increasing their muscle mass, and optimizing their nutrition uh, before a major oncologic intervention may help them after the intervention, uh, uh, perhaps by having less complications, perhaps increasing, improving their survival uh, through an intervention before a major 
oncologic treatment. Now, when I say major oncologic treatment, that could be a surgery, that could be a stem cell transplant, that could be a major chemotherapy. Uh, you know, and, and prehab in, in cancer is still relatively new, and there have been, I've even heard some people debating, oh, that's not prehab or this is prehab, but sort of the concept is that, yeah, you do it before some type of uh, intervention and, um, and, uh, and hopefully you see benefits in that. And I mentioned in my talk, it, it, a lot of the research lately has been, uh, there's been a lot of interest from the surgical oncology uh, uh, area where the surgeons are very interested in trying to improve outcomes. And so um, that's where a lot of the published research has been. Um, anesthesiologists are actually, believe it or not, are doing a lot of their research too. Uh, I guess since they're involved in the surgery process, they're, right. uh, that's kind of how they've gotten involved. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess with anesthesiologists, they don't want, they don't want patients to die on the operating table, right? So, so I guess, you know, if they figure if, if we can do something to reduce their chances of having complications during the, op- the operation, that's a good thing, which, I mean, I would totally agree with. So, so you have exercise physiologists, you have physiatrists, and you have anesthesiologists um, doing some of these prehab studies. Um, I do think that, uh, changing subjects a little bit, I do think that prehabilitation and, uh, ex- and the concept of of exercises, cancer medicine in a, in a, in a rehab setting um, that, that we as physiatrists, we need to own this, this area, this emerging area of cancer care. Um, you know, uh, I can't think of another specialty that has uh, better or more in-depth training in exercise uh, than, than us. I mean, I don't, you know, when I first read that anesthesiologists were doing prehab studies, I was I was kind of shocked. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like we need to own this, and I'm not saying that other people can't do this, but I think we as a specialty need to sort of sort of plant our flag in the ground and say this is this is a this is a physiatry thing, and 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 we want it to be a physiatry thing. And I think uh, you know sometimes our specialty hasn't been, and, and maybe it, there's maybe it's not necessarily true, but but. It seems like some areas of our, our fields have, we share a lot of things. You know, we share pain management with anesthesia. We share EMGs with neuro. And, and sometimes I, you know, I, I, I wonder if, you know, how this, this situation got created and maybe if, if physiatry had been more aggressive or, and of course we're, we're relatively small specialty, but sort of staked our claim in something, maybe uh, th- that type of situation wouldn't happen. So, so um I hope we aren't slow in trying to really, really sort of become the leaders in this area. Uh, and, and our, our numbers and our, our, I would say we, we haven't been the most research intensive specialty in the past. Uh, I hope that doesn't uh, come, come to hurt us in the, in the future in that area. Now, I know you're very um, active academically as far, and not just, you know, from a teaching standpoint, but also from a research standpoint, you have several publications, um, you know, first author, major journals. Um, one of my questions to you in regards to exactly what we're talking about right now in prehabilitation is clearly we would expect, you know, I think it's logical and fair to assume or hypothesize that if you put somebody through a prehabilitation program prior to any major surgery, as you're saying that they're, functional outcomes should be expected to be better. 
you know, than somebody who didn't go through a prehabilitation phase. Um, but what about other outcomes? What about the outcomes that most physicians, non-physiatrist physicians, tend to kind of obsess about? And, and really what I'm, what I'm talking about is mortality. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, you're right. That's, that, uh, for, for many physicians, that, that's really the, the biggest thing for them. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's speaking their language. That's what their, that's what their, their goal is. And, and for, what they, for you know, the vast majority of things they do, prescribing chemotherapy, is the end goal was to make you live longer. Right. Uh, and, and the studies thus far have not... Some have been have shown uh, some have shown no relationship with less complications, but you know, as with many things, and some have shown that there might be a, a relationship with, with less complications. Like with many things, you don't. Uh, if these studies only have an N of thirty, and they may not have the power to show uh, a real uh, medical or survival effect. Um, but nevertheless, I think, like you were saying, it makes. Uh, logical sense that it would, and uh, and we need more research, and there's doing people are doing more research on it, and 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 you know I think just the fact that there's sort of this logical uh, relationship is enough to 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 uh, encourage many people to to try to do prehab on their patients, whatever can help them uh, with better post surgical outcomes is a good thing, and so. Whether it has a strong impact or, uh, or, or a relatively weak impact, I think we need to we need to tease that out. But um, uh, and you know, and another issue is that the prehab, prehab programs are not all the same. So, like these studies, yeah, one one study will do you'll do you know X, Y, and Z, and the other place you'll do something different. And um, some of them are supervised, some of them are unsupervised. You know, some of them are self-report. Yeah, so here's, here's some exercise program. Go do it on your own. And whether they did it or did it right or were, were complying with it is, is you know, it, it's still it's it's it, it. We haven't. There's been some problems with it. We need to. We need more research in that area. Uh, but there's been some promising results, and some studies haven't shown much of an effect. But I, I think that hasn't deterred anyone from from really studying this harder and even expanding prehab programs. Yeah. So I think I'm going to ask you probably the most difficult question, you know, in our conversation today. I, I love putting, you know, my, my, uh, my guests <laughs> Go on, ahead. on no, the spot, no. but in your opinion, okay. Um, if you put somebody through a prehabilitation program, let's say they were diagnosed with X cancer, you put them through a prehabilitation program before they either undergo chemo, radiation, some combination of both, or even a major surgery to excise the tumor. Um, in your opinion, do you think that that would have down the road positive benefits toward not just quality of life? Because I think mm-hmm. I think I think it'd be hard to argue against that, but actual mortality. Do you think that? Oh, I, I, I think so. I think I think uh, uh, I, I think I think there 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 would be an effect. Um, I I think the effects would be more more pronounced if the patients continue to remain physically active throughout the cancer treatment. Uh, uh, but you know, like I was saying in my showing in my my uh, slides that there might be you know the idea is even if even if the patient did not. Uh, continue to remain physically active, just being participating in an intervention two years ago might have an impact on their survival. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but I guess this, but, but I, I think there is, I think that there's definitely an impact and, uh, 
or I think there would be an impact. And um, I mean, call me yeah. biased, but I'm going to agree with you here. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. say, I mean, physiologically, you're making the person more resilient, right? Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the paradigm over in Europe about, you know, things are a little bit more psychologically focused, but I, it's my belief, especially if you do something, as you mentioned, chronically or long term, you make some changes in your life. Um, and become more physically active. I think even just the act of becoming more physically active sure. makes you more mentally resilient as well, not just physically resilient. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think you. Uh, another thing I think would be good to talk about is that um, we're learning more that uh, not all cancers benefit the same way from exercise as a cancer medicine, uh, and we're trying to learn more about that. So you know, like. Certain cancers who have certain biomarkers might be less sensitive to the therapeutic effects of exercise as as a, as a cancer medicine, and then there might be there um, there might be certain chemotherapy agents that work better, sort of you know as a one-two punch against the cancer with exercise, and then some other chemotherapies may not have may not work that great with exercise. We haven't really teased that out that well, but there's we're learning more about it and there's there is evidence that it seems like some cancers with certain features seem to be more sensitive to to the effects of cancer or effects of exercise and physical activity um and you know like i mentioned in our in our in my in my talk we you know the science isn't quite there yet we we need to know these issues with what types of cancer but also you know what kinds of exercise change which cytokines and uh, which cytokines should we be following? Um, yeah, science isn't quite there yet. I mentioned those American College of Sports Medicine recommendations, which are very nonspecific. Um, you know, it, I don't think it's doing harm. I don't think exercise does harm in any patients, but I think it may be more effective if you're looking at it from just a cancer medicine perspective uh, than, than, than with certain, who have certain features than, than others. Again, we haven't teased that out. So right now we're, we're kind of treating everybody one size fits all, you know? Okay. Yeah. But I'm hoping 10, 20 now, 20 to 10 or 20 years from now, which I, you know, might sound crazy to some, but I, 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 I think that's a very, very possible situation where it really does get down to a science and, and, um, when you, you say down, down to a science, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but you mean knowing exactly which exercise modalities for which particular cancers? Yeah, yeah, which exercise modalities you should use for which cancers, which, which exercise uh, modalities are more, are going to affect which cytokines more, which are going to be more, you know, have a bigger effect on, on uh, the inflammation and the cancer progression. Um, I mean, it really would bring it down to... And then we, and I, I envision, I, my, my vision is that the physiatrist would be the one leading that, that they would be the one following up on the levels of the cytokines, that they would be the one writing the prescriptions for the, for the exercise, do this, do, I don't know, five sets of, quadri of quadriceps extensions exercises every day, plus, you know, do, you know, walk around the, the do, you know, 10 minutes of aerobic, moderate intensity aerobic exercise, plus, you know, really having it detailed. This is what you need to do because we're going to change your inflammatory soup to the way to optimize your cancer treatment. Yeah. So we need more research, but you're, my question to you is, are, is the field growing? So if we need more research, we need more scientists, you know, 
performing this research and answering these questions? Yeah, it, it's growing. I mean, there's more and more. There's more and more uh, uh, research out there. I, I, I wish there was more. Like many things, I wish there was more people working on it. But I mean, I know, I, I know there's some very talented exercise physiologists and physical therapists out there who are doing some pretty cool stuff in this area. Okay. Yeah. What about the field of cancer rehabilitation itself as a subspecialty of PM&R? In your, in your time as, a, as an attending physician, have you seen it grow? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's grown tremendously. Um, uh, interest from, from, the, from the physiatry as well as therapy uh, worlds have, has increased dramatically. I mentioned the ACRM, the American College, Congress of Rehab Medicine, their uh, conference has grown dramatically. To, uh, 2016 was four tracks of cancer rehab lectures. We were the second, we had the second most number of, uh, of uh, lectures, uh, which is incredible because it went from nothing, literally like two, two or three years prior, it was like zilch. There was no cancer rehab networking group hmm. to, to the second biggest in like three years. That, and that really, you know, that, that, that really shows that I think there's, there's a lot of people interested in it, um, and to be honest, it's probably we're we're probably not getting. I think there's a, a lot of demand from people for cancer rehab lectures, uh, and 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 that's and it really just exploded there. And I will say that other organizations still seem to be uh, are still kind of somewhat somewhat uh, somewhat uh, uh, thin on the on the cancer rehab uh, lectures that they offer. Um, but I, I think actually, the, and, and this is me just talking out loud, I think the ACRM success of the cancer rehabbing group, rehab group at, at ACRM really also may have influenced AAP Menar into having uh, more lectures at their conferences as well. And they've definitely increased as well. Still not ACRM levels, but, but uh, it's, it's, it's been going up the past two years. So yeah. this interest, the, this, this growing interest in cancer rehabilitation, do you think that has to do with, with an unmet need, especially a growing unmet need in, in, in a current population that continues to age? I mean, we have people living longer, people living longer with chronic conditions, people that are diagnosed with cancers um, surviving longer as well and actually having more and more of the needs that aren't actually being met because, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mean, our field is playing catch up with with what's going on uh, uh, pathologically. Yeah, no, you're you're right. It's uh, I, I agree with what you said 100. percent That that uh, the demand is out there. There's a lot of patients that need our help. We don't have enough resources to help these. We don't. You know, we're we're like you said, just playing catch up in this area. Um, playing catch up not only in our recognition of it, of our education of our young residents and fellows. Um, you know, I mentioned there's only four fellowships out there. That's not enough to train all the physiatrists out there. I, I, incur, I think it's great to do a fellowship, but I don't think it's mandatory to do a fellowship if you want to treat cancer rehab patients. We can't, as a specialty, require that. I mean, it's, it would be ethically wrong to do that. Um, now, would it be ethically wrong because then we wouldn't have yeah, we wouldn't have Yeah, we wouldn't have enough people. There would just be so many people who weren't. Already we have too many people who are going untreated. Uh, we, yeah. we need to have... Uh, and so, so I think maybe what needs to happen, kind of like how TBI, the brain injury, uh, and even spinal cord to some degree, you know, where it's it's a where cancer rehab is a is an integral part of the residency training experience for okay. for residents. But but if if you know, and so that at least we have the residents have some 
a significant amount of experience in cancer rehab, so they come out somewhat prepared to, tr- to treat these patients. And then if you want more, like if you want that brain injury fellowship, you know, specialty training or that, that board certification, you can do another, you, you can do a fellowship too. Um, or especially if you wanted to be academically active. Yeah, or academically active. But you don't have to, you know, if you if you want to be, a, if you're just a general physiatrist, you can certainly treat stroke patients and TBI right. patients. And, and I mean, the, if you're an inpatient physiatrist, you're, you're already going to guarantee you're going to have a lot of those patients. Um, uh, you know, maybe that's the way to go. Uh, I can't say, but but I, I can tell you that our fellowship interest in fellowship programs has grown dramatically. Um, there are currently four phys- cancer physiatry fellowships in the U.S. right now. There's, uh, I know the University of Michigan is uh, considering opening one, so there might be a fifth one coming on board soon. Um, uh, and I think there would be. Uh, I've also heard Kessler is, is going to try to have one soon. So there might even be six in the next couple of years. It's, it's growing dramatically. You know, and I don't. And I, I think this is another discussion to be interesting. Is sort of what is the critical mass mm-hmm. of fellowships that need to exist before ACGME accreditation would be possible? Because we're really right now we're kind of like what brain injury was 10, 15 years ago, where it was it was not ACGM accredited. People um, there was no standardized curriculum for fellowships. Yeah. Um, and so so that that'll have to be teased out in the future. Um, another issue is is because there's no standardized curriculum and people's practices are very different. You know, I, I, MD Anderson. We treat very advanced cancer patients who many of them have have sought treatment in other places. And, and not had good results and have come to MD Anderson for clinical trials. Um, so because of our advanced cancer population, we do a lot of inpatient cancer rehabilitation. Okay. And I mentioned on the, in, the, in, the, in the presentation today that most of the patients, the growth in our field with cancer survivorship has been outpatient. You know, and I say cancer survivors, and I, I mentioned that the definition is even patients who were diagnosed yesterday. But um, when I made the growth in our field, it's really the patients who've had who don't have evidence of disease currently or who have, you know, sort of uh, mild, you know, disease that's being controlled with oral chemotherapy agents and they're kind of living with this disease. Um, that's what's really fueled our, our field in the, in the past, you know, five to ten years. And so a lot of people are doing actually a lot of outpatients. There's a lot of diversity in these fellowship experiences. So um, that's another issue. If we try to do standardization and try to pursue ACGM accreditation, we're going to have to figure out <laughs> what these fellowships are going to have to look like and, and, and may have to, there may be some negotiating as to what, how much inpatient there should be versus outpatient. Um, but we'll see. I, I, we're not there yet. I still think we, we, we need more. And I, I don't know what the, the critical mass would be. Um, but I think we might have six within the next two or three years from four now. So you mentioned your vision 10, 20 years from now. 10, 20 years from now, do you think the training hopefully will, will kind of have caught up as well? Standardization within residency training, standardization within, you know, fellowship trainings, more fellowship programs out there to kind of pump out these rehab physiatrists, to, uh, these um, cancer rehab physiatrists, to 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 treat these patients. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think I think, uh, uh, and I think maybe. Uh, well, let me put it this way: I think a lot of these academic institutions are catching up and opening cancer rehab programs. They're trying to find. There's a shortage. And I'll tell you, the job market for cancer physiatrists at academic uh, facilities is, is very good right now for physiatrists. Uh, uh, a lot of people are wanting to, to start it, and there's just not a lot of people who have a lot of experience in it. So, so um, yeah, I, I hope so. And 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 I, and I mentioned in my talk that that the ACGME uh, um, 
standards for, for physiatry. Residency programs is you know, still, at least the requirements are still pretty low uh, for cancer re- rehab exposure. Uh, but I, I think that's going to change. I think it, um, I think they're going to have to change. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that there's other barriers as far as getting these patients the care that they need? So getting a cancer physiatrist in front of a cancer patient, what other barriers do you think are, are kind of in the way? Is referral a problem? Uh, is identification by either primary care physicians who are taking care of patients with cancer or oncologists, are, are they not identifying you know, that these patients have these unmet needs? Yeah, so Polly uh, bring up a great, great uh, uh, issue for many cancer physiatrists is that establishing a new program can be very difficult. Um, getting those referrals can be very difficult. Um, you know, I, 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 many oncologists are, are focused on the cancer, on disease progression, on CT scans, on restaging uh, tests. Uh, and so the patient's you know, neuropathy and painful shoulder and reduced neck range of motion are sort of not on the radar screen. Um, and so, so we need to find ways to uh, either change that referral uh, habit that they have uh, or, you know, there's been efforts to try to do screeners to say, you know what, maybe we're not going to change the mentality of these oncologists, but let's just let them keep working the way they've been working, but let's just do some patient-reported screeners, and that will kind of prompt or trigger uh, referrals to cancer, to, to physiatrists. So, you know, if, so the person will fill out a, a, a questionnaire, it'll say, do you suffer from these type of symptoms? Are you having trouble walking? Are you, trouble, are you falling down? Um, and, then, you know, if you answered yes to certain questions, you might automatically trigger it or, or at least, like, have a prompt on the Epic computer system that says, hey, um, this patient answered, you know, five out of these ten questions that we think our algorithm suggests you should do a, a cancer rehab uh, consult. And, and then maybe the, the oncologist would say, okay, yeah, sure. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 and I, can't, I can't say firsthand that I've, I've, I've built a cancer rehab practice on my own, but um, it can be tough. Yeah, the, the, the oncologists don't rec- often don't recognize what these issues and even recognize the need for, for cancer fit rehab. And then also they don't, sometimes they don't really understand what, what we do. You know, they don't understand, they don't know that we can help them with the muscle pain or, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, Mrs. Jones, you just live with, you know, you're gonna have to live with it. I know it's, it's, it stinks. Here, here's some opiates or, you know, Tylenol, just, right. just, uh, uh, they just don't know that. Okay. Well, if you, I can, there's this, there's this guy there or, 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 or woman there who, who's a physiatrist who can, who can teach, who can treat these things and, and, and improve their quality of life. And so, um, yeah, I, I it's been an ongoing issue. I, I think, I don't know if changing, Oncologist habits is—it's going to be hard to do, yeah. and maybe there might be some more promise in doing, uh, going through through the whole uh, uh, screeners uh, route, and, and that—that's there's been a lot of interest in that area. Yeah. So, Doctor Fu, you have a microphone in front of you. Mm-hmm. We try to reach as wide, you know, an audience base as possible. You know, patients, family members, other physicians, other healthcare providers. If there was a message you wanted to get across to them in regards to what it is that you do, I mean, you mention, you know. A lot of people out there just don't understand exactly what it is that we can offer these patients. 
if you wanted to get that message out, what would you say right now? Putting you on the spot twice in one <laughs> <laughs> in one conversation. <laughs> oh man, that's tough. Uh, I mean, because we, we do a lot of things. Um, uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. How would you get them to? Okay, what would you say to? Let's let's target now oncologists, right? Uh-huh. Um, who who sees a pa- who's taking care of a patient and they're just like, well, before you tell the patient, there's really nothing else I could do here. I'm going to give you these pain meds. Um, do you think at that point that should trigger something in their mind to, hey, let me refer you to somebody who does this particular stuff far more than I do? Yeah. Is is there you know that's one particular instance. Are there other instances where you would say, hey, why don't why don't you just refer to us? We'll eval the patient, talk to them yeah. and see what it is we could do. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And you know, where do we, where, you know, we mentioned this whole thing about prehab and pre preventative right. rehab I and mean, where, where, where is it, where's a referral to, to physiatry appropriate? I mean, yeah. in the ideal world, 10, yeah, 10 years I mean, from now again, your vision, so, let's so, take it there. <laughs> some, you know, you might argue that you should be, as soon as they get diagnosed with cancer, you should have them. But you know, that, that that's, that's, I, I don't think there are many cancer patients who don't need our help. There are many cancer patients who do need our help too. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so, uh, you know, what I, I think, I think we're just still trying to learn that, but, uh, um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, you know, and, 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 and I, we mentioned that our, our field is still kind of in flux too. You know, this whole thing of concept of exercise is cancer medicine and prehab is sort of just emerging recently. And, and we've been traditionally all been about all about quality of life. You know, let me help your shoulder pain. Let me help you with your neck pain. Let me help you with your neuropathy and uh, your, your spasticity or, or, or cancer related fatigue, which is a common one. Um, and, and, and so, so I think the old definition of what I would say is if your patient has it, pretty much any issues with quality of life, I may be able to help them in okay. particular uh, physical issues. But I think that definition may change. I mean, it, we're beginning to see that it, if, if that we might even be sort of in on the whole uh, cancer treatment side of things. And, and it's not there yet, but, but um, I, I, we can already see the beginnings of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, definitely, um, definitely exciting times. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Fu, thank you so much for, you know, coming, speaking to us, you know, educating us a little bit more on what it is that you do, what it is that we can learn to improve our own practices. Um, If there's anything else that you'd like to share, I'll turn the floor over to you. (laughs) Well, I think I thank everyone for listening. And uh, it's an exciting time for our field. And I hope that uh, that this has increased your uh, interest in, in cancer rehab. Thank you again, Dr. Fu. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. 
We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.